0: You know, you hear those stories about punk rock bands being started where some guy's like, well, I don't know, my sister's boyfriend has a bass. I guess I'll play the bass. And that was really how we made this film.
1: Hello, and welcome to Playback. I'm Joey, and I'm your host. In this series, we're focusing on milestone films that ultimately change the way movies are made. We're starting off by bringing you the story of The Blair Witch Project. You're going to hear from the co-writers and directors of the film, Eduardo Sanchez and Daniel Myrick, and from the producer of the film, Greg Hale, and from the film's three lead actors, Heather Donahue, Joshua Leonard, and Michael C. Williams. We are attempting to tell you the full story of The Blair Witch Project, everything that we know. We've divided this story up into four different episodes. Pre-production, production, the premiere, and the promotion. We covered pre-production in episode one, and now we bring you episode two, which covers the entire production process and all the innovative techniques that were used to achieve the specific look, design, feel, and tone that The Blair Witch Project is so well known for. And you're going to hear from the actors themselves what it was like to be stuck out in the woods performing and shooting a movie that they had no roadmap to follow for how to make. Here is our second episode on The Blair Witch Project, the production.
2: They were told they were gonna be out in the woods for eight or nine days camping.
1: That's Dan Myrick, co-writer and co-director of The Blair Witch Project.
2: We were gonna cover them, we were gonna direct them, you know, sort of by remote control. And so we devised a whole process by which we could kind of control the narrative of what they did out there.
0: We uh, bought these goggles to protect our uh, eyes at night. We're gonna be running through the woods, scaring the uh, actors. We're gonna do the same thing we did the first night. Uh, which is like just circle them and make noise and go in different directions. As actors in Blair Witch, there was a lot that we didn't know.
1: That's Joshua Leonard, one of the movie's lead actors.
0: I never saw a script. We knew it was going to be improvised. We knew that we would kind of get information as we needed it and and not before. And that we would never really get the full scope of the
3: arc of the film because they wanted us reacting naturally to what was actually happening. When they sent us in the woods, we knew that we would have no contact with them unless we absolutely needed to over walkie-talkie.
1: That's Michael C. Williams, one of the movie's lead actors.
3: We knew that they were shadowing us throughout the woods, and we were set up with a GPS with different waypoints plugged into it. You know, GPS before everybody had it in their cars and stuff. It was like a a device from the military because Greg Hale, one of the producers, was ex-military.
1: While today's GPS serves users from all walks of life, it was originally conceived by and developed for
4: the United States military. So we moved them around uh, with GPSs.
1: That's Greg Hale, one of the producers of the Blair Witch Project.
4: We had gone and made this big, uh, basically what amounts to a, like an like an obstacle course or a you know a a path for them in this state park. You're going to go here, and we would leave batteries and directions for them in little film canisters so that they didn't have contact with us at all. We would be hiding in blinds or following them in camouflage and watching them or trying to keep up with them, Uh, didn't always work. Every Waypoint had
3: an event or simply a milk crate with um, one of those bicycle flags in it. In the milk crate was three containers, three uh, film containers, and one had my name, one had Heather's, one had Josh's. We each would get directing notes through these film kids. So you'd open it up, you'd roll out the piece of paper, would say, you know, Josh is a real jerk. Uh, you want to go south and he wants to go east. Whatever he says, make sure you want to go south. I wouldn't tell Josh what my note was. Josh wouldn't tell Heather what, you know, we didn't know. So that's how they created conflict, through these notes.
0: Uh, we uh, we gave them little directing notes. We'd set up, we set up like a, basically like a,
2: Post-its. like a, yeah, a little yeah. post-its. they, they knew shot it that. and yeah.
3: they improvised the dialogue. Right. Okay. okay. Now, we put- yeah. now, explain to me again what you did. <laughs> the way they directed the film was we would leave the day's tapes in those uh, milk crates and they would leave empty tapes, so we'd swap the tapes. So they would go home overnight and watch what we'd done all day and see what the tension was what the relationships were between the actors and kind of write those new notes based on where our relationships were. So they had to kind of direct overnight based on what we were doing during the day. It was really ingenious the way they kind of set the whole thing up. Nothing had really been set up this way.
5: I was really excited about how they were gonna do it because it meant that it was just the three of us actors pretty much making the movie.
1: That's Heather Donahue, one of the movie's lead actors.
5: We were able to improvise, we were able to shoot it, we were able to take a break and then be like, hey guys, let's shoot a scene. And then we would.
0: It was extreme verisimilitude, as close to reality as, as they could set up. Now, at the same time, we get asked a lot, were you really scared? Were, you know, did you really believe this was happening? To which I say, you know, we're not psychotic. <laughs> like, we did understand on some level, we understood that we were making a movie, you know when we'd hear screams at night we knew that that's what the directors were doing
5: hello hello
0: one of them could have possibly been an owl but the other one was like a cackling if i
2: heard a cackling i would have shit in my pants
4: we would disrupt their sleep at night we made sure that they never slept all the way through the night we would come and shake the tent or make noises and make them get out and and film or whatever so that by the end you know they were about as raw as as you could hope to make an actor
0: basically just terrorize them when we played the blair witch wake them up like at three o'clock in the morning beat them relentlessly yeah <laughs> <was actually> good.
4: <laughs> so this is fire. basically a fraternity hazing set <laughs> to oh, <this> yeah is. <laughs> with video cameras <laughs> yeah
3: we're gonna wake you up in the middle of the night every night no matter what if you're scared or not doesn't matter and you weren't because you'd wake up and you were exhausted and you'd say to yourself, geez, it's just Ed and Dan and Greg running around the woods like a couple lunatics. But no, I got to get up and I got to be scared and I got to run through the woods. So, so it was, it was draining. It was physically draining. You're cranky, you're tired, you're raw, you haven't showered, you haven't brushed your teeth. I mean, it was like, ugh, you know? So the only way that that kind of filmmaking works is if you actually go for it and you do it. It helped us
0: make that extra jump that when you're making a more traditional film, you're with your scene partner, you're acting within a set of given circumstances, but directly, you know, five feet behind your scene partner's face is is a big crew of people, and you know, there's a craft service table over there, and, you know, there's a director shaking his head or nodding his head depending on how good you're doing over there. There's a guy fucking with lights. It's um, and in this scenario, there was no crew that we saw. They were all working behind the scenes to create environments for us to react to.
5: When we wanted to make up a scene that wasn't part of the outline, we just did it. When Mike invented that scene about losing the map, that was all his invention, because he just wanted a big scene. And he felt like as the sound guy, he was never going to get a big scene, so he made his own big scene. You're a fucking asshole! And if the, the map we, wasn't doing shit all
2: day! If we get hurt or if we die up here, it's your fucking
3: fault! Kick the map into the creek, Nobody notices. They're arguing over the map. Oh, that's crazy. They didn't notice. Let's see if they notice when we walk away. Nope. Nobody noticed. They're arguing over it. They throw it on the ground. I kick it in the creek. Nothing happens. We leave. I say, yeah, I got a piece of information that they don't know. I hold on to it for a day and a half. And I think, I'm going to, when they're really angry, I'm going to pull out the information. I'm going to say, Guess what I did? I kicked the map into the creek. Ha. And it's going to be this awesome, dramatic thing. But it doesn't happen that way. Heather's foot gets wet in the creek and I start laughing because it's hilarious because she's pissed off and I'm laughing, I'm laughing. And all of a sudden I think, this is the time I want to say. Guess what I did? I kicked the, I kicked that fucking (laughs) man into the creek, yes,
5: (laughs) it was useless.
3: And I knew it would piss them off and it did. And I got a real reaction from them. But because I was laughing made them even more upset.
5: It was hard to muster fear in the scene where Josh's stuff gets all um, slimed.
0: What the fuck was this blue jelly shit all over my shit?
5: Let's go. Because that was just, just a ton of KY jelly. <laughs> so we actually had a very good time kind of playing that and like smearing it all over each other. So then we kind of had to get back to business. And then we did a take where it was all very like, oh my God, which lubed your back. <laughs>
3: Are you not scared enough? No, but why you? This is not funny. Do I look like I'm laughing
5: at all? No,
0: but you're going around doing your documentary thing, man. You're still doing your fucking
2: thing. Don't fuck it! I'm turning the goddamn thing off!
3: Everybody thinks we weren't acting. Everybody thinks, oh, Mike, Heather, and Josh got thrown into the woods, didn't know where they were going, didn't know what was happening, were led around, had no idea, and were scared out of their minds. It's not true. We were scared out of our minds because we believed in the circumstances that were created for us. Heather screaming my name, Mike, Mike, Mike. (laughs) That is like one of the most to me the most iconic shrieking screams in film history. That's Heather. She was freaking brilliant, but everybody just thinks, "Oh, well, she was, you know, she was scared, so she was being a bitch and all this stuff."
5: A lot of women are afraid to be annoying as shit, and that was never a fear of mine. I was actually totally okay with that because to have to keep shooting no matter what, to step into that character, you're you're gonna like that's not going to be a very popular woman period. We walked south all day, okay? We walked south all fucking day. I don't know how we ended up here.
3: I will say easily that she carries the movie. I mean, without Heather Donahue, the movie, it it isn't what it is. got to think about a woman who has to be that assertive and aggressive with two guys in the woods the whole time and be relentless. That's hard to do. And she was relentless.
5: I thought it was pretty bold of them to actually cast a woman in that role. And so I, I felt almost an extra responsibility to step into that as authentically and honestly as I as I could have. I am so, so sorry for everything that has happened because in spite of what Mike says now, it is my fault.
2: Heather's confessional, um, that was a huge surprise for us. Not that we didn't think Heather could pull it off. It, we just didn't know it was gonna be as impactful and poignant as it was at the time. We knew at that time in the story, we wanted her to have sort of this reconciliation and coming to terms with what she's led these poor guys into and herself into and, and, and kind of acknowledging responsibility. So we just told Heather to go off and kind of have that moment to herself and and uh, just to make sure you turn the camera on yourself and say, this is like your, your your message to your family, right? Your last message to your family, what would you say? And and she just went there. She just, you know, went to that emotional place that you don't get to see very often on film.
5: And it's all because of me that we're here now, hungry and cold. I love you, Mom.
2: One of the things Ed and I struggled with, and we didn't have an ending figured out until like three days before we started shooting. It's like, how are we going to resolve this thing we've created? We've kind of backed ourselves in this corner because your natural propensity, I think, as a filmmaker and storyteller is to show the monster at the end, right? That's what you've always seen, but we want to keep it real. We don't want to show this
3: witch in a costume or, you know, whatever. So the last note for me for the filming, and I know it's the last note because I know the next day we're supposed to leave for New York. I open up the thing and it says, Mike, tonight you'll hear a noise. Follow it all the way up until you can't get any further wait for Heather to catch up to you, and then leave her behind and run down as fast as you can. What the hell does that mean? I don't wanna screw this up. This is gonna be the last thing. I hear Josh, I hear him in a boombox, and he's walking through the woods, and I follow it, and then I see the house, and my reaction is, oh shit, it's a house, oh shit. And it is legitimately the most truthful line I say in the whole movie, because I was so surprised. And not only that, I knew I got to go in that house. So I go upstairs, Heather follows me upstairs, I wait for her to get there, and I run away from her as fast as I can. And she is screaming my name, and it's dark in that house, and I run all the way down two flights of stairs into that creepy basement, and I just feel fooom. It's Greg Hale, the producer. He grabs me, picks me up, and puts me on the ground. And I know it's over. I'm like, finally, this whole thing's over. So I get emotional. Like, I'm just like, oh, man, it's done. Thank God it's done. He's like, shh, go in the corner, go
2: in the corner, go in the corner. We had a whole bunch of ideas of, like, Michael levitates at the end or catches fire or something like that. And and we eventually just kind of settled on him
3: staring in the corner. They're like, just stand there, stand there. And you can hear Heather getting down, down, down. She comes down the stairs. She sees me in the corner. They deck her. And that's it. You may not know what's happening or why it's happening, but if it's operating on an emotional level, if it's scaring you, then you've done your job. And they had no rhyme or reason to put me in that corner. That was their ending. That was their like, okay, well we don't know how to end it, so we're gonna stick him in the corner. And then later on they added a scene, and the scene is in the middle of the movie, there's an interview with a man on the street who says, the witch
4: took the kids down at a basement by twos so and he made one face into the corner. Really? And then he would kill the other one. And then when he was done with that, he grabbed the one out of the corner and kill that one, too.
3: We still wonder why, but now at least we have that little bit of knowledge which they added in. When we
2: shot the film in Maryland, that film that everyone's familiar with on the screen, at the found footage portion of it, that was about 36 grand that got it in the can.
5: I thought their way of shooting it and creating the found footage was really clever. I certainly didn't think it would end up being the whole film because we ha- we didn't really have any experience. So we were definitely surprised when that footage ended up being the whole feature.
3: It was eight straight days of shooting. So a little known story is that the filmmakers say to us, look, if you need to break scenario, there's going to be a code word. Somebody breaks their leg, somebody gets hurt, God forbid. You open this walkie talkie, you say bulldozer, and we'll be there as fast as you could imagine. Just know that if you use bulldozer, the film is over. Like we can't take you out of the woods and do and whatever and then put you back in the woods. It won't work. We have to have a continuous eight days. Okay, fair enough. So like day two or day three, it had been pouring rain for 48 hours. It wouldn't stop. It was relentless, just constant rain. And they would put the tent in a site. It looked like we were always carrying the tent, but they would go ahead of us. They would pitch the tent and set it all up. And we would get there and just kind of pretend like we're just finishing it up. And then we get all our gear in there. So we get to this tent after the second day of rain. And we open the zipper, there's just water everywhere. You can't, I mean, it's unbelievable. And it's still pouring, it's not gonna let up all night. I don't know who started it, but it said we, we got a bulldozer, we gotta stop. We can't do this. We can't, we can't sleep in four inches of water. I mean, what are we supposed to do? So Heather agreed with Josh, and I thought, oh geez, man, this is my first acting gig. I don't wanna, I don't wanna stop this film. We say bulldozer, it's over. Like it's done. So they convinced me, look, it's not a good situation. We're gonna get sick, it's not worth it. So I'm all like, whatever, fine, wimps, right? So they Bulldozer, nothing. Remember, this is day three, so I don't really, now I'm starting to think, do I really know these filmmakers? Maybe this is part of the film. Maybe they're filming us, freaking out. Bulldozer, nothing. <laughs> so I'm like, this is weird. On those GPS's, are on the Waypoint GPS, there's also escape routes. From everywhere you are, there's an escape route programmed in. So this escape route says, go up this hill. So we do, we we trudge up this hill, slogging through mud and dirt and everything, and it's pouring, and they never came to get us. And we're like, this is crazy. Like they're really screwing us out here. So we found a house at the top of the hill and, and we, looked like, we looked like hell. So we said to Heather, listen, you're, you're a female at least. We'll stay back here on the street. You go up to the house. And it's like an old country road, a house in the middle of nowhere. It's not like a suburban street. You got to ring the doorbell and just tell them we're making a movie, we got lost or whatever. And you know, we're waiting for a shotgun, you know? And Heather rings the doorbell and the woman opens the door. She's great, wonderful couple, this older couple. They invite us in, they give us towels, they say, clean up. They make this cup of hot cocoa. It's out of this world. We're calling the directors, can't find them. Turns out that we got held up by the rain so much, and they were doing all the other stuff behind the scenes, that they got backtracked even further. So they didn't, they didn't intentionally leave us out there. If they had heard the bulldozer, they would have come in and got us, but they didn't hear it because the walkie was so far out of range. So we caught up with them and we stayed the night in a hotel. The film's supposed to be over, but they said, look, it's day three, whatever it was, day three, day four. If you guys don't shower, you don't talk about it, just try and hunker down in this hotel room just for tonight and make believe that this never happened. We'll drive you back out to the woods and we'll try and finish this film. We still had another five days left. And that's just what happened, and nobody knows that. We went out of the woods for one night, stayed in a hotel, didn't shower. Cleveland was playing the Marlins in the World Series, I believe. So I got to watch a World Series game, and I'm a big baseball fan. (laughs) Next morning, we went out in the woods. It was a beautiful sunny day, and the film continued. So I don't feel that that will make it because it's too long of a story, but it's a true story.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Playback, The Blair Witch Project Story. We are at the Academy on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Up next, episode three, the premiere.
4: When the first screening was over at the Egyptian, I thought, well, that went that went well, but it didn't feel like a home run or anything. We definitely heard that some people were saying kind of negative stuff about the movie. This series was produced by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences.